there, history fans. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of the History Explains It All podcast. Welcome to part two of Pompeii. Yeah, the redo of Pompeii. Redo, yes, redo. Because we like torturing ourselves. It involves research. I'm all over it. Especially ancient Roman cities that can get engulfed in lava, for sure. Well, doesn't sound like fun. No, if I wanted to go to Pompeii, I'd want to be there before 79 AD. When you want to be there at 0 AD? <laughs> CE. How about 64 when Nero visited? Sure. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Don't lose your head. What if I offered him grapes? If you don't know what she's referring to, she is referring to a scene in a sketch from Horrible History. Horrible Histories. By the way, not sponsored or anything. This was an awesome, awesome show. Watch it every chance I get. I know. I can't watch it anymore. <gasps> oh, that's because it's not on Amazon anymore. Yeah. Wait, 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 I need to buy the DVD set, I but like I just I haven't been able to purchase it yet. And you want next early time. Kid? Oh, you're getting me an early Hanukkah Christmas gift of the DVDs of Horrible Histories? Okay, thanks. Sure. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm joking around. No, I'll, I'll get them. I'll get them. Don't worry. It's just, I guess, next paycheck, okay? Whatever works for you. I still got your birthday present, so uh, that's pretty fun when I give it to you. We only have 20 days left <laughs> until I see you in person. So take it away, Melissa. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to go burn it away, but okay, take it away, sure. <laughs> you can burn it too, but you won't have any information if you burn it. So, part one, if you tuned in for that, we covered the history of the founding of Pompeii, the city's structure and layout, and the general information on the daily life of Pompeii, as well as what happened during the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. So, part two here, we are going to talk about the Discovery, rediscovery, archaeology of Pompeii. So the first section I'm going to cover is the history of the discovery of Pompeii. Then Lauren will go into the major archaeologists and findings that came out of Pompeii. So as we noted, in 79 AD, Mount Vesuvius erupted. Now there were some very early on excavation attempts at Pompeii. One of them was during the reign of Emperor Alexander Severus, who ruled after Lagabalus, directly after. And he ruled between 222 and 225 AD. However, the amount of, I guess it's called lapilis, which is a layer of volcanic fragments that are expelled during uh, volcanic eruptions. It was just too, it was kind of like trying to dip your feet. Too hard, too thick, and very quickly failed attempt. But even long, long, long after Pompeii, people knew that there was something there that you would see, even though there were other minor eruptions between 79 and the very late 15, early 1600s, you could still see some of the top of the buildings because it, it did cover the city in about two stories worth of ash and debris. But not all the buildings were only two stories. So people knew something was there. There was also local tradition that there was a city beneath the ash. But people didn't 
over time, people forgot what the city was and forgot that who what had happened there. But locally, for the longest time, it was known as La Civita because they knew there was a city there and they just didn't know that it was specifically Pompeii. Over time, things get forgotten. So the first noted quote-unquote excavation of Pompeii was in some sources say 1592, some say 1594. And that was done by architect Domenico Fontana. Prior to that, there were occasional, I guess you could call them robbers that, I guess I wouldn't call them grave robbers, but that's not exactly what they were. But archaeological evidence has shown that early on that there were people who would go through and dig holes through buildings and through walls and down through the ash to see if there's anything that they could steal. So we do have some notes from that, but most of our excavational knowledge comes starting with Fontana. Now, he was a an architect at the time, and he was charged with building an underground aqueduct, which would run through what we now know as Pompeii. And as he was digging through various walls and buildings, he started to notice there were paintings and found some coins and he found some inscriptions. And he essentially rediscovered this, quote, lost city. But for some reason or another, he decided not to share that information publicly. And so it wasn't until about a, almost 100 years later that we get anything of note that this may or may not be Pompeii. And this would happen in 1689 with Francesco Pichetti, who happened to be going through some of the uncovered remains and saw an inscription on one of the walls that read Decurio Pompeiis, which means town councilor of Pompeii. However, he took this as an inscription, meaning this is the villa of Pompey. Understandable. I, I might have done that. A few years later, though, in about 1692, so literally about 100 years after Fontana, that Francesco Bianchini actually translated the Latin and the meaning of the inscription. And actually, along with Giuseppe Marquini, they began to excavate some of the walls. And they were the first people to record that La Sevilla was the ancient site of Pompeii. However, again, this was not, this was academically noted and not made public. Still not sure why. And this didn't actually happen for another 50 years that it became public. So this is when Roque Joaquin de Alcubia, he was the director of excavations at the city of Pompeii in the 1740s. And he was charged with doing some work for Charles V of Bourbon, who was the king of, uh, sorry, the king of Naples. But Naples was owned by France at the time. It's very, a little confusing there. It was also around the same time, the 1740s, early 1750s, that Herculaneum was also discovered by workmen who were digging for foundations for the king's summer palace, which is where he wanted it. But as we know through a lot of history, when you've got lots of rich people and you've got really rare artifacts, instead of making it public and putting it in a museum, it's privately in their house for them to look at. So on August 20th, 1763, there was an inscription that read Re Publicae Pompeianorum that was found and La Civita very publicly now became forever known as Pompeii. And although Alcubierre did 
discovered quite a bit of Pompeii. Most of the finds were not treated like we would do them today, or scientifically pretty much at all, and not properly documented. But this did come a little later with Carl Weber, who was in charge of excavations. He was the first major director of Pompeii who ran excavations between 1750 and 1764. Now, during the reign of the French in the area, which mostly ran from 1799 to 1815, much of Pompeii was actually dug up, and it actually was estimated that over 700 workers helped to excavate and dig it up. Again, though, not super scientifically, though. That definitely comes a bit later, so we did lose a lot. That look on your face. As you both, as we both know, it's very easy to screw up an excavation, especially if you're not paying attention or care. And when you have something this significant, things we lost. However, during those 16 years that the French owned the Naples area, or continued to reign, a lot of the main streets in the area were actually also exposed, which gave the scope of the size of the city. And we also found the House of the Fong, the House of Menandro, the House of the Poet, and the House of the Surgeon as well, too. The most distinguished and very helpful director of the excavations at Pompeii was Giuseppe Fiorelli, who ran excavations <laughs> from 1860 to 1875. And he was the first person to actually realize that these voids in the ash were actually the voids of human remains after the eruption of Pompeii. And what's really cool is he devised an actual technique of ingesting plaster into these voids in order to create the plaster bodies that we see today. And although we don't use plaster anymore, uh, at, or the archaeologists at Pompeii don't use plaster anymore, I believe they use resin. But if you go to Pompeii and you see those plaster molds, a lot of those come from the time of Fiorelli, so it's still really cool. So it obviously lasts a long time. He was also the first to actually methodically divide the city into nine different regions and blocks in order to distinguish different sections of the city. So if you see a map of Pompeii and it's got Roman numerals on it, those are the nine different sections. And so what it would do is, so you had a house in section five, which I'll get into uh, section five a little bit at the end. But say you have a house in section five, and then each house is going to have a block number. So you might have the Roman numeral nine for the block, and then say Roman numeral three for house number three. So you were able to very systematically read where all these houses were. The next major excavations were done under Gennaro Matron, who was had the excavations from 1899 to 1901. And this area was mostly around the seashores and actually included findings of various many shops and statues, jewelry, vases, coins, various metals, and over 70 skeletons, which was kind of a similar thing that happened, I think, in Herculaneum when they were found one of the amphitheaters. There was everyone just sort of crowded around there. And then after Matron came Antonio Sagliano, who was the director. This guy is cool. <laughs> From an archaeological standpoint, this guy is cool. He was not only the director of archaeological works at Pompeii, he was the curator of the National Archaeological Museum at Naples, and he was a professor of antiquities at the University of Naples. Dude loved his history. That's what most archaeologists and professors aspire for. You're a curator, you're a professor, and you're the head of excavations. Pretty cool. So 
a lot of the excavation up until this point was mostly done in the historical context. Settlement archaeology now began in the 20s with Amadeo Maori, and he would actually be the head of excavations through the 1950s, which is when most of the city walls of Pompeii were actually exposed and scoped out to. What settlement archaeology is, if you go back to part one, we talked about how it was settled and around 800 BC by the Oscans, and then you had the Romans, and the Samnites, and then, I'm sorry, the, the Greeks, and then the Samnites, and then the Greeks again, and then the Romans, and the Etruscans came in halfway through that too. With settlement archaeology, you're able to date the strata, which are the, the different distinguishable layers in the dirt, not unlike a tree ring, and you can date them uh, based off of settlements in the dirt based off of any kind of archaeological elements like certain coins or certain metals that were fashioned in a certain way pottery and pottery designs always pottery pottery is great i love pottery pottery never ends nope nope and pottery is fascinating so it depends on what you can find in these different layers of dirt dating this far back so that's what settlement archaeology is mostly done. So that was actually originally started in the 1920s, which is how we were able to determine that we can date the settlements of Pompeii all the way back to about 400 BC, which is really cool. And all was more or less well there until, again, we talked about briefly about World War II, destroying it with bombs. Not so happy about that. And then during the 1980s, as we've also mentioned briefly in the last part, that some of the buildings were recreated. Some of them had roofs built onto the original structures, which you're really not supposed to do because then you could damage it, which is kind of what happened. So the head of archaeology in the 80s decided that they would just build a new ancient style roof on top of the original building structures. But unfortunately, in reconstructing these roofs and attempting to reconstruct parts of the buildings they did not stabilize it very well and some of the buildings collapsed there were earthquakes in the 80s and 90s that caused a lot of these other buildings to collapse and then when the roof collapsed it damaged the original buildings and we lost some of those house the gladiators that's something that happened to to that i believe that happened in 2010 oh and just you know don't build on the original structures it's not smart now, as of today, there is only allowed work done in very specific areas of Pompeii, and there are no more major excavations planned for the city. Archaeologists are still going through and excavating certain sections, but only very specific areas again. So what the archaeologists now are mostly concentrating on is actually preservation, documenting and protecting. So... Think about it this way. If you had a city that lay under two-story, 20 feet roughly of ash that didn't get oxygen, that didn't see the light of day for thousands of years. I'm sorry, not even that long. Hold on one second. My math isn't working. Call it 1,500. For over 1,500 years. <laughs> math, not where we're going to work today. Almost close. So once you... It's kind of like also bringing something up from the seabed, an archaeological piece. The minute it's exposed to oxygen and sunlight and temperatures that it's not typically used to, it's going to start decaying. And especially if it's things like paintings 
which are usually just a thin layer of paint on stuff, they're going to start crusting off. And so the archaeologists are now mostly geared towards protecting the city and ensuring that it's actually going to last. Because now that it's been uncovered now for over 500 years, sort of, kind of, whether, I mean, there are thousands of tourists every year, and especially in the last 150 years, and then we'll get into the, the grand tour of Europe in a bit. You've got thousands of people walking through Pompeii every day. People wanting to sit on things. People wanting to touch things. I understand that because I want to. I'm not going to. People wanting to take things. People breathing on stuff. It's just eventually things are going to decay. So in 1997, Pompeii was actually, and Herculaneum as well, were declared UNESCO World Heritage Sites. And in 2012, the Great Pompeii Project, which I have a link to, started and it's actually a measure along with the Italian government to help preserve Pompeii and it actually has specifications in place that try to reduce the amount of pressure on say at least the city walls from the groundwater from the earth from people also allowing better drainage so that you're again just taking off general pressure from these structures so that they'll last longer. What's interesting is in very, very recently, in December of 2020, a Thermopylium, which is essentially your ancient fast food restaurant, outdoor restaurant, really, uh, was actually fully uncovered in the area of Region 5, which is near, I believe, the seashore area. And in this, and I have a source relating to a recent article about it, the archaeologists found cooking utensils, eating utensils, various flasks and amphoras, which are uh, liquid jars that you, you that you would carry liquid in, or oils. And there were frescoes, and they even found eight dolias, which were terracotta containers that still had remnants of food in them. So we now know some of the stuff that they ate, which could be things such as goats, pigs, beef, duck, snails, and fish. And I'm kind of hoping that one of these amphoras or dolias were not filled with garum because I'm pretty sure that would be pretty smelly. And an update on that I just came recently across in an article is that there are plans to open up this Thermopylium this month, actually, on August 12th, our one-year anniversary, funny enough, <laughs> and, uh, and open it to the public so you can actually go see all this stuff. Now we get into Lauren's section on the archaeologists. Yay, archaeologists! So, there's a ton of archaeologists in here. However, there was very little known about them outside of their Pompeii work. So, there's not going to be a whole ton to say, unfortunately. I wish there was. So, as Melissa was talking about, Domenico Fontana was the person to discover Pompeii in the 16th century. And he was an Italian architect was born sometime in 1543. We do not have an actual known specific date in 1543. In 1563, Fontana traveled to Rome and he entered into the employ of Cardinal Montalto as an architect, which is what he was trained for, to build a church. After Cardinal Montalto became Pope Sixtus V, he appointed Fontana as the architect of the papacy. 
Fontana is actually known to have designed the Vatican Library and the Lateran Palace. Take a look on, on Google. They're really pretty places. And later on, Fontana was actually accused of basically stealing money. Tax money, by the way. And in 1592, he was fired from his position as the architect of the papacy. However, he did go on to work for other royal families, particularly the royalty of Naples. So, don't worry. He's fine. He was fine. And then we come upon Roque Joaquin del Cubier. There were a couple other people in between, but to be honest, there was nothing on them. We don't know much. It's just so long ago. I don't have much for Alcubierre either. And he was the next person to work on the two cities, uh, including Herculaneum, that were destroyed by Vesuvius. And he's originally from Zaragoza, Spain. And he was actually a military engineer in the Spanish army. And Alcubierre, along with Carl Weber, who I will also talk about, began these non-systematic excavations in 1738. Now, non-systematic excavations, this is when, so remember, archaeology is in a very, very young professional field. So this is a time when archaeology as a professional field wasn't really a thing. And it's more of, we just kind of dug and hoped to find something. Yay. Lots of destroying in the process. And Carl Weber, who he worked alongside, was born in 1712 in Switzerland. And he actually attended a college in Italy. And he was also an engineer. And he became an engineer with the Royal Guard of Naples, I believe is the correct answer. But I could be wrong. I need to check that. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sound looks like that. Yeah. Naples. And... His successor was Francesco La Vega, who was also a Spanish engineer, who I have no dates for as I could not find anything. Then we come to the rather important archaeologist. I consider him the important archaeologist because of all the findings that he did and what he did. Giuseppe Fiorelli, who Melissa talked about a little bit. He was born in Naples in 1823. He worked in Pompeii actually in two two different occasions. So he worked early Pompeii, he did one season and then that was it, he was done. And then he actually became imprisoned for his political views. And later on after being released from prison, he became a professor of archaeology at Naples and a director of excavations at Pompeii again. And at the same time that he was a professor and the director of excavations, he was also the director of the Naples National Archaeology Museum. That's a lot of work to be doing at one time. But hey, he also wrote a three-volume book titled the uh, titled Historian of Pompeian Antiques, 1860-1864. And he passed away on January 28, 1896. Now, he was important because of the discovery of the the shells uh, that were created by the volcanic ash of the people that died. And he's the one that came up with the idea of pouring, was it cement? I think it was cement, right? Plaster. Plaster. Thank you. Pouring plaster into there and casting 
these people and it comes with their facial expressions and the wrinkles on their clothes. We have those today because of Giuseppe Fiorelli. And there's tons of them, by the way. There's tons of them. And then we come to Amadeo Maiuri. He was born in Verla, Italy. He received his degree in archaeology from the University of Naples. And he actually started his work as an archaeologist in Crete in 1911. He then went on to work on archaeological, archaeological projects located in Rhodes. And then in 1924, he followed the footsteps of Fiorelli and became the director of the National Archaeology Museum of Naples and the director of excavations of Pompeii and Herculaneum. Herculaneum. And he, you, you were talking about really angry people earlier because of World War II and Pompeii. He was not a happy archaeologist <laughs> post that era with with the destruction that occurred in Pompeii. And he was also the one who did not advocate to continue digging. He's basically said that it was we that we needed to study what we had already found to to gain an understanding of the people of Pompeii. That was that was his thing. And he also went on to teach at the University of Naples and then he retired in 1961. And that is all I have on all the archaeologists of Pompeii. That's a lot of archaeologists, might I add. Definitely was, yeah. Well, I mean, it's quite a few centuries of digging. <laughs> Except for, you know, the few pauses due to war. Yeah. yeah. And we're talking close on 500 years, give or take. Well, I mean... Well, I mean, maybe since it's... About 50, about 400, 350 to 400 years, because we really stopped after 19, what, 1970s, 1980s? Yeah. I mean, it's still, I mean, in terms of major excavations, yes. 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 Major excavations is what I mean. We're still doing, like, very, very small little bits and pieces here and there, but now it's more about conservation, because we have to conserve what we've already exposed as you spoke about earlier, because uh, we're people. Let's breathe on things. Let's sit on things that are 2,000 years old and think it's going to be okay. Yes, we also do not advocate, please, if it says don't touch something, please don't touch it. Don't sit on it. That actually really does do harm and damage. Please. You're killing our souls. <laughs> if you're at a site and a tour gets says don't touch something there's a reason for it yeah and believe me as i said i so want to touch it because it's history i'm not going to oh don't i know don't i know that'll do for this episode of history explains it all (laughs) i never look at the outro you're a horrible podcaster (laughs) I'm here to spout history. <laughs> right, well, uh, yep. Oh, wait. We'll just start start that one over again. I'll just try that. Wow. That's mean. Fine. The whole thing. No. Well, that'll do for <laughs> Well, that'll do it for this episode of History Explains It All. And we hope to see you next week as we continue to trek through history, too. 
explain it all. Bye. Stay tuned for the weird history. Lots of fun. They're always fun because I never know what we're talking about. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> On oh, that note, uh, I'm going to go do some more re- weird history research. And I'll, uh, I'll, I'll see you next week, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Bye.